Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 24 in Year C. We are concluding our series called Lord Increase Our Faith today, and we are talking about um, Jesus as he walks the road to the cross, speaking seriously on the topic of faith and what it means to follow in faith. Today we are thinking about how faith demonstrates itself through total dependence on God, and we'll think about that more as we go along today. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Our preachers for this series, Pastor Steve Lang from Hope Lutheran Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and Pastor Kent Holtz from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. So thank you, brothers, for being on the podcast for today and for the all the Sundays in this series. Um, Kent Holtz, let's start out with you. Could you tell us a little bit more about the theme that unites the readings for this week, faith demonstrated through total dependence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess that, uh, that what strikes me first of all with that is, is the, the total dependence idea. And Jesus really, really pushes that thought in our, in our lesson for today because uh, we've all got that, that opinio legis in us that says, you know, there's really total dependence. I mean, there's got to be a reason God loves me, right? I mean, there's there's got to be a reason why he blesses me uh, more than others or why I'm a believer. And, and we tend to look at ourselves. And I think today's text is just awesome at that. Um, really exposing our, our self-righteousness and if we, if we want to have life with God, um, it's going to have to be through total dependence with Christ. It's like the old uh, canvassing aggressive evangelism we've, we learned and we've probably done. You know, if you were to die tonight and appear before God in heaven, um, what would you say um, to Jesus if he said, why would, you, why would I let you into my heaven? And, and what do people say, right? Again and again, it's something I've done right? Um, it's, you know, I've, I've been better than somebody or I've tried harder or whatever it might be. And it's, it's all self-dependent, right? And I think our, our text today just makes that point so very clearly that um, absolute total dependence on Christ if, if we are to, to stand before our God one day. And um, what a blessing that, that uh, yeah, Jesus makes the impossible possible that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Steve Lang, let's go to you next. We'll be focusing on the gospel of the day as our sermon text this week. Um, could you help us uh, see how that fits together with the first and second readings and maybe summarize those first and second readings for us so we can see how the, the lectionary fits together this Sunday? Sure. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 20 is our first reading. Obviously, this is from Moses's farewell address to the people of Israel, and he is really working to try to get their perspective straight as they are about to enter the promised land. They did have a very special status as God's chosen people, and it would have been very easy for them. It was very easy for them. Um, both as a whole and as individuals, to think that somehow God had chosen them because of something in them or because they somehow deserved it. 
or that they had something to offer God. And that's why he chose them to be his special people. But Moses reminds them, God owns everything. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. And yet he still in his own grace and for his own reasons chose you as his special people. Um, and so, you know, just that whole reliance on God, the, it, it is to God's glory alone and not to your credit, people of Israel, that God has chosen you to be his special people. Um, and so just kind of focusing the people of Israel's attention on that, which, of course, fits very well with our overall theme here of total dependence on God. Uh, the second reading is again from 1 John, this time from chapter 2. And John encourages us not to love the world or the things in this world. Um, it's very easy for us to delude ourselves, especially for us who live in such a materially blessed culture, materially blessed nation, to think that somehow we can place our confidence in the things of this world. And John's reminder that God is the only one that we can rely on. We, we cannot place our reliance on the things of this world. That's not going to be our love. Uh, this world is passing away. Um, only God lasts forever. And so place your confidence in him, rely on him, because that's, that's where your true value, well, th th that's where those things that truly are valuable lie. Not to, you know, not to say that the material blessings God gives us in this world aren't worth something. They're gifts from him, but they're not everything. They're not the most important thing. They will pass away. God never will. Right. John really emphasizes that uh, the lasting um, the lasting security that God gives in contrast to, yeah, everything we can get attached to in this world and look to for security, how that will all pass away one day. Um, therefore, depending on God is the only sure path to confidence um, in this life and on into the next. Uh, well, let's get into the sermon text for today. This is uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. So it's Luke's account of the rich young ruler, Jesus' encounter with him. Um, and then uh, kind of an, the epilogue verses um, that come in verses 29 or 28 through 30. Uh, Kent, could we go back to you just to get us started in thinking about this text and highlight whatever you'd like and things you've uncovered in your text study? Sounds good. Um, yeah, this is one of those where you don't have a ton of uh, lead in. Um, the past couple of weeks we've looked at, there was a lot of background stuff. And, and this one, you just kind of jump in. And and um, the, the question, right, to start off with in, right away in verse 18 is, is crucial. Uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so right there, um, I mean, what a, could, could there be a more important question for somebody to ask? So, um, and then, you know, how, how Jesus handles that, you know, why do you call me good, which is kind of interesting. So is Jesus saying there, um, save your empty flattery, buddy, um, you know, and, and what I want is, is you to trust in me rather than, you know, butter me up. Seems to be kind of the way that people approach that. Um, and then Jesus takes him right to the second table of the law. Um, and, you know, no one is 
is good. And you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And verse 21, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. I'm not enough of a Greek scholar to know um, as far as the use of um, the, the heiress there, the heiress verb is ephilaxa. I just thought that was interesting though. So that the translation there is all these I've kept and that philazo word is, you always, you always think of the guard, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of the soldier on guard or whatever is how we usually use that. And I, I guess I thought that was interesting, which, which makes, you know, not only does he have the law then, but probably all the pharisaical little laws and you think about this, this, this man, rich, young ruler, whatever you want to call him, the different gospels give little different bits of information about him. Um, but I think what he's saying is sincere. You know, when he says to Jesus, all these I've kept since I was a boy, um, I don't think he's anything but sincere there. You know, so, you know, he's guarded these, right? This is really important to him. And he, I think, intently believes this. Um, and so if you were a pastor and you had the same encounter, I guess I would probably think along the lines of, what am I going to talk about next? I'm probably going to say, well, the law is not just what we do on the outside, right? It's, it's spiritual, it's thought and you know, it's not just deed, it's also thoughts and words, but Jesus doesn't do that. Um, Jesus goes after him with, um, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So of course, Jesus knows his heart and knows exactly what he needs, but just exposing that sin, right? Um, so a, a crushing preaching of the law there for Jesus, just to, to show how lost he was, um, I think is, is striking to me that, um, yeah, Jesus goes for the kill kind of there and, and knows exactly what the, the man needs to hear. Um, well, I guess I've taken it halfway through. Yeah, I can I can tag to, to Steve or or John here. No, thank you. Um, you brought out some excellent points there. Um, yeah, to the the last one you made, uh, I see Jesus' words there as saying, you know, you you are not really grasping what the whole law of God is about. What if the whole law can be summarized in? fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Um, if you really are keeping that fully depending on God, well, then why would you balk at selling everything and giving to the poor? Um, another, another thing you brought out, Kent, was um, no one is good except God alone. And verse 19 there, um, good teacher, why do you call me good? I wonder if also part of what Jesus is doing there is getting the man to reconsider his definition of good. Um, what, what do you mean by good? Is that just kind of a nice thing, uh, a nice thing to say that could be, but, um, or do you mean good as equal to God, um, perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness, uh, you know, all those qualities. Um, and I think Jesus ends up kind of leading him to see 
you know, if you want to talk about being, say, a good person, th this is what God has in mind. <clears throat> it's complete devotion to him, not just, yeah, I've kept the major outward commandments. Yeah, second table of the law. Uh, but let me stop there. Steve, uh, could we go to you, uh, your thoughts, either on that first part of the text, or, or you can proceed with um, uh, what comes next? Yeah, um, it. I found it very interesting in studying this text and just looking at various commentaries about the text that it was just interesting to me to see the various ways in which the commentators were portraying this young man. Um, you know, Kent mentioned, you know, that, that, you know, maybe he was trying to flatter Jesus uh, by calling him good teacher. Other people were saying, well, maybe not. And one of the things that I was kind of struggling with myself as I was thinking about this was what was the attitude of this young man coming to Jesus. We don't have much information about him at all. He's just called a ruler. Uh, I think most people said they assumed that that was a synagogue ruler. Uh, does that make him automatically part of the party of the Pharisees? Would he have had that same kind of attitude toward Jesus? I, it doesn't seem that way to me. But then again, I, again, we're not given a whole lot of information. Uh, you look at his question to Jesus, his question does seem to be sincere. You know, he truly is interested in gaining eternal life. Um, what, what should I do to gain eternal life? You know, here's this very popular rabbi people are listening to. Uh, maybe he can give me some insight into this. Um, I agree with Kent that when he says, I've kept these all from youth, I believe he's sincere in his, his belief that that is the case. Um, I, I, I just wonder if approaching this text, not from necessarily a, not so confrontational of you between the two people, Jesus and the young man. Um, and, and part of what leads me to that is the fact that Mark in his account, his recounting of this event notes that Jesus loved him, looked at him and loved him. We know that Jesus' strong desire for this young man was that he would come to recognize his sinfulness and his need for a savior. Um, I don't think Jesus assumed that that was beyond the realm of possibility for this man. We don't know. We, had, we know nothing after this man leaves. I mean, I, I guess I would personally hope that maybe he, the, the preaching that Jesus, you know, very pointed preaching that Jesus gave to him bore fruit. And um, after thinking about it, he came to realize that, yeah, what he was trying to do was impossible, but with God, all things were possible through faith in Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, too, that I, I also puzzled over, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And um, I suppose you could look at it, you know, Jesus saying, you know, don't try to flatter me. On the other hand, um, well, again, this, this I saw different people had different ideas about this, that uh, some people, I guess, have said that no one, no one really addressed a rabbi as good teacher, just as teacher, because they were, you know, they served that word good for just addressing God. Um, others are like, well, that doesn't really, I don't know if that's really true. And I don't know if that's really true. 
it could be that Jesus in answering him is already trying to get him to rethink how he is looking at Jesus. Cause it's, I don't think the young man for all this sincerity really sees Jesus as the son of God. Not, not at this point. Um, he think he's sincere, sees Jesus as a rabbi from whom he can gain information. Um, and it sees Jesus as a godly person, but not necessarily as God. Could it be that Jesus is trying to get him already to think, okay, you're calling me good teacher. Usually that epithet, that good part is just a just reserved for God. And Jesus, even though it might seem like it, he's not really rejecting that address either. He's just saying, okay, why are you calling me good? Like you think about that for a little bit. Um, it is interesting to me how Jesus deals with him. It was striking to me as I was working through this to see that in Jesus laying out his examples of the commandments, he did purposely stick with the second table of the law, which from a human perspective, those are the things that most people, if they're going to say, yeah, I've kept God's commandments, those are the ones that they're thinking of. I have not dishonored my parents. I've not actually committed, you know, first degree murder. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I haven't shoplifted. You know, I haven't given false testimony in court. Those things I can handle. Um, and yeah, Jesus teaching of the law is very pointed, but again, there, there's that love there where he, he exhibits the nature of God in that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And this man needed to come to realize that while he was th thought that he was keeping the entire law, he hadn't really kept even the first commandment. And that, you know, Jesus makes very clear when it's, you know, if God is, if you love God above all things, if you have no other gods besides the Lord, then it's not going to be a big deal for you to go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. The fact that that's a problem for you tells you that you have an idol. And the young man went away sad. Um, was he sad because Jesus was saying that he needed to give up his riches? Was he sad because he realized, oh, I guess I haven't really kept the law. Um, Again, I wish we knew more about what happened after this. And the gospel, you know, the Holy Spirit has not chosen to give us that information. Um, but, you know, it, there's a lot of, I think, a lot of things to consider here as you think of who this young man was, what his attitude was. And you look at how Jesus deals with him and that very obvious love that he has for this young man and his desire to lead him to a realization of his need for a savior, namely Jesus himself. Yeah, the preaching of the law, evidence of Jesus' love for this man, for sure. Uh, Kent? Well, I was just thinking too, as Steve was talking there, um, this guy's probably the ideal, right? For, for the people <laughs> of the day. Like everybody's looking at this guy as the guy who's got his act together. Um, and you wonder what he's thinking too. When, when he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal, you know, so you think Jesus is going to pat him on the back and say like, you've got it, buddy. I mean, you've, you've done it. Or does he, you know, or, and you almost wonder if Jesus had said like, you need to contribute a boatload to the temple. Okay. All right. Done. You know, right. Just, just 
keep piling up those works. And uh, one of my favorite comments about the, and, and like Steve said, there, there's so much we don't know, but I, I love one of the comments. I think it came out of our, our green sermon studies book though, but it kind of cracked me up that this young man would have been like every Jewish um, mother-in-law's, you know, prize. Like she, she'd love to have this guy as her son-in-law, right? Cause he's, he's a good guy and he's responsible and he's, he keeps all the laws. So, so yeah, he's, he's doing everything perfectly. And Jesus in a very loving way shows him how go back to our theme dependent. He was, and not so, so um, righteous on his own. Right. Well, uh, let's go on from there. Verses 24 and following um, Jesus comment to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, so now the disciples are beginning to process uh, what has just happened here. Um, and their response is recorded for us in verse 26. Um, yeah, what do you make of that? And uh, Jesus comments then this conversation following up with the disciples. Um, and how is this theme carrying through in this section of the text? Um, Steve, some comments on that? I, Jesus makes it very clear to the disciples. Well, he starts out by, you know, he's got this example that they all just witnessed of a person who had a lot of material wealth. But his love for that material wealth was keeping him from, from, you know, trusting in the Messiah who was standing right in front of him as his savior. Um, and so the natural stepping off point for Jesus would be, hey, it's really hard for people with material, for a lot of material wealth to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's so hard that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is an impossibility. Um, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear the, the thoughts of, of you two on the various interpretations there have been for a camel going through the eye of the needle. Because, uh, you know, some people have said, well, you know, it's talking about these smaller pedestrian entries into a city wall that normally a camel wouldn't be able to go through, but you have to take his pack off and you kind of have to crawl through. Um, I, I don't think that Jesus is just trying to say it's difficult for a person to enter the kingdom of God on their own. I think he's purposely saying it's impossible. So, you know, just saying you've got a needle here, tiny little eye, you're going to put a thread through it. Okay. Now try to shove a camel through there. Mm -hmm. Can't do it. It, it is, it is utterly impossible for human beings to save themselves, which the disciples then you know, reach the right conclusion. All right, who can be saved? You know, what about us? How we, you know, we're, we're, we're stuck here now. And Jesus then brings the good news. Look, yeah, it's impossible for you, for you to make that camel go through the eye of the needle. Not a problem for God. God can, and he does perform this miracle of creating saving faith in people's hearts, even in the hearts of those who are sorely tempted to set up other idols in their hearts. Yeah, Kent, your take on the camel and the eye of a needle? I think they must have had a breed of very tiny camels <laughs> back in Jesus' day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's silly the different I, 
you know, takes on it. Yeah, there was a gap in the wall or whatever. Um, and, and Jesus explains the point right after it, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's not saying this is very hard to, you know, whatever take people are, are making there. But yeah, camel through the eye of the needle. It's absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Jesus' commentary makes all those other people's um, theorizing about it um, ridiculous. Yeah, I, I would agree. What is impossible with man, I think, is Jesus' whole point. Um, here's a situation that it, it just cannot be done. Um, uh, so, not and I mean, maybe this is getting into the application of a sermon too, but I mean, it, it's not only uh, easier for a camel go, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, but for really anybody to enter the kingdom of God, because if it's not riches uh, keeping us from, by nature, depending on God, then it's something else. Um, so describing an impossible situation. But then there's the turn in verse 27 uh, from law to gospel. I think of it as uh, the impossibility of being saved through human effort, but the key is God and God making the impossible happen. Um, Any thoughts there or how would you express the gospel truth that is there uh, that Jesus mentions in verse 27, or that he hints at in other parts of the text, or Jesus looked at him and loved him, of course, is in the background from Mark's account too. Thoughts on expressing the gospel from this text? Uh, Steve? Just kind of picking up on something you said uh, before I get to the whole gospel part. Um, I I don't know who I got this from. I, I remember hearing it somewhere, but I just remember someone portraying the sinful heart as being an idol factory. And you, you, we, we have no trouble. Our sinful hearts have absolutely no trouble turning absolutely anything into an idol. An idol is just anything that you think is more important than God. And so, yeah, you could be dirt poor and still be able to create idols out of your, out of your heart. It's yeah. Like you said, it's, it is just as impossible for a camel to go through the avenue needle as it is for any person, regardless of their financial status, to be able to save themselves. But then the beautiful thing is God does the impossible. God did the impossible. He continues to do the impossible. Um, and he did it all himself because he could not rely on us to contribute even a little bit. You know, sometimes in my Bible information classes, I will bring out that point by saying, you know, I'm really glad that 100% of my salvation is dependent on God, because even if I were responsible for 0.0000001% of it, I know I'd screw it up. Mm -hmm. And now I can't, because it's all God. God isn't depending on me to do anything. He doesn't expect me to do anything for my salvation. He knows I can't do anything for my salvation. I do not have the power to make that camel go through the eye of the needle. God does. And he did. Um, He did in Christ and he does in our baptism, that miraculous washing of water through the word where God performs a miracle in us that's just as great as if he were to cause a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Yeah. Adding to that, uh, Ken? Yeah. I, uh, the thought of impossible there made me think of Mary. 
right away, um, the announcement of the birth of the Savior. Um, how will this be since I am a virgin? And that was the angel's answer, right? Nothing is impossible with God. So I was just, yeah, it was just a fun kind of thought there to think about um, all of the ridiculous stuff God does for us, right? Um, for undeserving creatures that that we would say impossible. A virgin can't have a child. Um, God says, yeah, possible. Um Walking on water. Nobody can do that. Um, nobody can perform those miracles. Um, the dead can't be raised. So yeah, God does all of these ridiculous things for us and how grateful, grateful we are that he, like Steve said, that none of this depends upon me. Um, but, but God does that for us. So yeah, I agree. Absolute great gospel thoughts there. Um, I think in the Matthew account, I have a, you remember the, the video Bible studies of the gospels that were, I don't know if you saw these years ago. Um, the, the one, the Matthew video Bible study, yeah. if I recall, Jesus says these words with a huge smile. Um, and I always thought that was kind of interesting, you know, and we don't know, of course, how that happened, right? Was was Jesus stern with this or whatever? But I always just remember that video. And um, it was striking to me that, and ultimately it is a, it is a big smile in a sense that, that, yeah, that's gospel. Jesus just saying, yeah, don't, don't trust yourself. That's, that's the impossible. Um, let's talk about what God has done. Yeah, great. Um, Steve? Just picking up on the whole impossibility thing, I'm glad Kent brought that up because, you know, really, yeah, like you said, everything about how God took, carried out our salvation is filled with impossibilities. You know, you mentioned the virgin birth. You can think of just the incarnation itself, God becoming a human being. How can God be 100% God and 100% man in one person? Causes the gaskets to just fly everywhere in your in your brain but for god not a problem not a problem this and and it was necessary to happen that way and it was not a problem for god yeah um yeah just the the, the impossibility of it all um it is we, we still haven't quite gotten to the the last couple of verses too i here's another thing that i was kind of puzzling about you know giving with peter and saying well, we've left all the, all of our things to follow you. Um, sometimes you just want to shake your head at Peter, but at the same time, we I see a lot of myself. I think we all see a lot of ourselves in Peter, um, and I it's like okay, what what was Peter's motivation in saying that? Was he looking for a pat on the back? Um, Jesus is not averse to calling his apostles to account when they're out of line, but he doesn't really do that here. He says, yeah, you guys have sacrificed a lot. And I promise you, you're going to have a lot of blessings, not only in heaven, but even here, you're going to have a lot of blessings here. Um, which again is by God's pure grace. It's not like as we live our Christian lives, we're somehow, accumulating points that we can go in and cash cash in at, at you know god's prize store to to earn some prizes based on the things we've done and god just 
gives that stuff to us just as freely as he does everything else and for no other reason than he just wants to and he loves us. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, an, an, there's so many very interesting things in this text as far as the interactions between the people involved. And that goes all the way to the end with Peter, who we all know had, had a bad habit of speaking before he thought things through. Um, but here Jesus doesn't rebuke him for it. He says, yeah, I, I get that you guys have left a lot. And not that that necessarily earns anything, but I will graciously grant you blessings um, even now as you, as you put me first in, in your life. I think, you know, it's a good thing for us to remember too, especially when we look around at the world and it seems like nice guys finish last. You know, it's the nice guys, it's the, the Christians that are constantly getting stomped on. Um, now, in, in God's economy, he pours out blessings on his people, and we'll see that as we continue to follow him. Yeah, the, um, the mistaken notion I think the disciples could take away here um, is that a life of total dependence on God means, yeah, just a life of absolute deprivation and drudgery and you know uh, okay well it it might in some cases i mean jesus has been honest with his disciples about carrying the cross about what they will be called on to sacrifice as they follow him but yeah i think this is an interesting um kind of corrective uh, that jesus applies to his disciples just to say well recognize this is also a life to the full. This is a life of blessing as you follow as well. Um, so yeah, don't, don't go from one extreme theology of glory to the other extreme theology. The cross must just be 100% horrible um, without, well, even as we live under the cross, we still experience all these tremendous blessings. Um, and Jesus, I think, points that out here. Um, uh, anything, yeah, anything to add, uh, Kent, or other other thoughts as you thought about that final section of verses? Yeah, I think very similar. I think you you both stated it well, you know. Um, and even I guess just the thought, even if it's even if it is persecution or hardship, um, God works that out as well, right? I mean that mm -hmm. that. He, he can even turn that into to blessing in different ways and just a, a different kind of blessing. Um, I always joke that, um, you know, we should put on our church sign, you know, become a Christian. Um, it could hurt. You will suffer. Mm -hmm. um, but I, like you said, this is a great counterpoint that yes, Jesus does say you will be blessed, you know, in a lot of different ways. It may not be the way that you want necessarily, mm -hmm but you will be blessed. Great. Um, thoughts on uh, how are you going to present this in the form of a sermon now, um, or even theme ideas, or what are your major thoughts? Um, I mean, this is maybe when you can kind of, kind of the progression is from law to gospel to some aspect of sanctification, you could say, as you walk through the text. Is that how you're going to present it, or... Uh, what what is your plan at this stage, uh, Steve? Or oh, okay. Um, uh, well, I was just going to be focusing on picking up on the overall theme of the day, the, the whole idea of dependence and 
depending on God alone for our salvation. Um, and I think it just, the text itself lays itself out in two very nice parts, demonstrating the impossibility of us saving ourselves. And then the fact that God does accomplish the impossible um, and has accomplished the impossible in Christ for us. Um, and, you know, just that, that's kind of, uh, that that's kind of where I, I guess I'm sitting right now looking at it. Okay. Kent? I was thinking a theme of all about camels. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. Um, I, I think it's a tremendous text for, um, you know, just the basics of the Christian faith. Like this would be an awesome, like if you're doing a special, you know, this, this falls during our, our fall festival week where hopefully we've got a ton of people that are our guests, whether that happens or not, but that's the goal. Everybody bring a friend. But I, I think just to walk through that, that opening question, we, we all, there, there's no more important question than that. Um, what, a, well, what must I do to eternal life? We're going to change that question a little bit, but that's in us, right? That's opinion legis. Opinio legis. So I think just to walk through that, um, almost from, like I mentioned before, from an outreach call perspective, I think you could almost structure a sermon that way. And uh, I'm thinking about doing that. You know, you're knocking at a door. Um, what would you say, right? And where do our th thoughts tend to go? And even a lifelong believer, you know, how that, that bleeds into uh, just some subtle subtle um, self-righteousness or, or work righteousness at times. And it, it's a good opportunity to really understand the, the depths of our depravity and, and how the law condemns us, um, that it is absolutely impossible. And then of course, the, the, the transition to, to God's grace. So my theme might just be, what must I do to have eternal life and, and go from there? Um, or I think Steve was talking about, right. Yeah. Um, you know, God makes all things possible, whatever. Um, even, even I thought a theme might be interesting, something like you are possible, you know, because look, look what God has done. And, and, uh, that too is, is amazing grace that it is possible that, um, sinners can be in heaven. And, and how is that the case? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I thought um, pointing, uh, Steve mentioned a, a part of God doing the impossible is making me his child through baptism. Um, maybe just a, a reference there to Jesus' act of obedience, um, you know, maybe not spoken of in those terms, but um, can you imagine uh, standing in front of God uh, and him saying, you have kept every single one of the commandments um, including putting me first 100% of the time. Well, well, that's impossible. No, that's that's the reality when we're trusting in Christ uh, because that obedience has been counted as ours and is on our record too. So one more aspect of the gospel keying off of those early verses in the text there. Um, great. Yeah, so this has been a, a, a great series. Lord, increase our faith and this final Sunday in the series, really pointing out, yeah, that faith is trusting in God to do what is absolutely impossible for us. 
and knowing that in Christ, he's done that very thing. Um, any final thoughts, comments, uh, or suggestions for preachers as we um, uh, turn this over to them to, to keep working on their sermons? Kent? I don't think I've offered an illustration yet. So um, oh, yeah. we're just, just, and I'm sure I stole this because I don't have original thoughts, but um, my apologies to whoever I stole it from. But I kind of think it, it works well with talking about, you know, kind of how we think about ourselves and our, our human nature. Is it really fallen? Um, that kind of stuff. You know, I'm pretty good, that kind of thing. Um, somebody pointed out the fastest thing that we can do with you as human beings is fall. I don't know if you've heard that one. Like the best swimmer in the world can swim approximately six miles per hour. The fastest runner in the world, Usain Bolt, he was clocked at somewhere around 27 miles per hour. You can throw a fastball 100 miles per hour, but the fastest thing a human being has ever done is fall. There was that Austrian guy who took a hot air balloon 24 miles up into whatever level of the atmosphere and he jumped out mm -hmm. and he made it to like 800 some miles per hour right. on the way down. You know, and so you think about what are our capabilities as a human being? Well, that's it. You know, um, kind of ironic, isn't it? The fastest thing we can do as humans is fall. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore the total dependence on Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great illustration. And yeah, contrasting that with then God doing the impossible and, uh, uh, getting us what we could never, ever get for ourselves, giving that to us freely um, in his son. So let's, uh, let's close it there. We'll turn it over to preachers to keep on working through this text. Uh, there's a ton more we could talk about, but um, we've got this basic thought uh, as plenty to go on. God does the impossible, um, giving us this gift of eternal life in Christ uh, and in the meantime, before we experience that fully, all these blessings in this age as well. Um, so thank you, Steve and Kent, uh, for your thoughts today and throughout this series. And God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim God's grace.